0: No, it's really hard for a parent to step back and watch your child do something. It's hard for a parent to teach your child how to do something. It'd be much easier so many times, I think, to just, and you've probably done this, thank you, Eric, to, to just do it yourself. You ever done that? You needed to train your child to do something, and then it was just like, ah, just give me that. Let me do it. Because it's so much easier. You've got the knowledge, you've got the know-how, the power, the strength to go ahead and, and pull it off. And, and, and lately, one of the things I've been doing is, you know, trying to teach Dennis how to drive. So there's, there's more of a, a fear factor even involved in it rather than, ah, just let me do this. It's kind of like, oh, man, please, please stay on the lines. Uh, and, and, you know, he has to be able to go on the interstate. Oh, please, don't, don't make sure you're looking and checking the blind spot. And I don't have one of those cars that has a brake on the right side that I, can, that I can hit it. And you've probably been there before where you've been trying to hit an imaginary brake. or You've been just clinging with, with all, that all your might onto that kind of the, what I would call the holy crap handle side of you know the car. Parents have been in that situation a lot. But the, 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 the greatest parent that I can think of, our Father, our Heavenly Father, has actually placed something even greater in our hands. He is is giving us a responsibility to be a part of changing this world. It's a huge responsibility. It's a a large responsibility. And he placed it in our hands when he could have easily just come come and and did it himself entirely. I mean, he he has in the sense that he's died on the cross for us. He's given us new life. But but the mission of getting the word out, he says, you know what? I'm, I'm handing this to you. And you have a responsibility, you have something that you need to take care of. And so you can imagine, you know, we would have this trepidation, but, but, but Jesus says this to his disciples, and, and of course you know this as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. I want to begin at verse 16. If you want to turn there, you can, or just listen. We're going to be flying on to some other passages. But it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But I always love this next statement because it shows the imperfection of even the disciples who had walked with Jesus. It says, "But some doubted." How is this? Uh, you know, there's days where we just feel strongly know the presence of God, and there's other days where we're like, "God, where are you? Where are you today?" So they're there and it says, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. And so he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Basically, he is, because he has that authority, because we serve and we worship him, basically through him we have the authority to go. And to make disciples, he says, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, helping them to see this is the way to live, this is what it's, this is what it's all about, this is what it means to be a human in all its fullness, because humans were made in what? In the image of who? in the image of God, and so it doesn't make sense without Him. You cannot live a life without Christ. And behold, He says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so He's placed this mission in our hands. He's placed this responsibility in our hands. And what He has done is created this entity, this this group of people that serve Him called what? Called the church. And the church, first of all, is much bigger than just us this morning when we think about the church, we need to think about it in a global mindset. The church is, is all called-out ones. That's what the word means in the original Greek language is ekklesia. Say that with me. Ekklesia. It means the called-out ones. And The church is global. The church here, the church in Jamaica, as we've gone on a mission trip there, the church in Dominican Republic, the church in, in Africa, the church in, in Thailand is where some of you... Uh, they're supporting the uh, John and, and Abby Abigail who have gone overseas recently. The church global, but I want us to so I want us to take a look at that today. I want us to understand as we've we have this mission to for people to see what it means to really live that we we look a little bit deeper at what it means to be the church. Now we've talked about over the last three weeks kind of our individual mission, kind of our particular fingerprint as a part of the church. These, these three pillars, if you will, that, that God, I believe, has, has laid on, on our hearts. Can anybody tell me them? I'm just curious if it's still stuck in your head, hopefully. Give me number one. Correct. Number one is love and grace. Number two comes from 2 Corinthians, and it's about uh, reconciliation and connection. And the last one, truth and and authenticity. And you weren't even at at the thing last week, so way to go, Edie. Edie's on top of it. Yes. So... These are the particular three pillars, if you will, that I believe God has called us to, kind of our fingerprint, if you will, with, with what we have as a church. There are things that are general to all churches, but for us, those are some three particular focuses, if you will. And so we need to, we need to grasp this mission. We need to own it. We need to, to take it tightly, just to be reminded, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and, and look at in particular, pillar number two, if you will. 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm a slow flipper. Come on, fingers. So again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, from, thou, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I want to stop there just for a second before we go, because in other words, what that's saying is when we look at people, we don't just look at the outside. If we're going to be a church that's about love and grace, for instance, if we just look at the outside, if we just look at what we see, then we're going to have issues expressing love and grace. Because we need to understand that there's something deeper. We're talking about the soul. We're talking about the spirit. We're talking about who an individual is on the inside. There are people that we look at on the flesh, we look at on the outside, and we say, this person has, there's no way this person is ever going to change. This person is dealt with so many struggles. People don't change. They don't change without the Spirit of God. He says, we don't look on the outside. We don't look at people from the flesh. We have to look deeper if we're going to understand the change that can be wrought, the difference that can be made in people's lives. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. It says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A reminder to look at what this person is now. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Christ reconciled us to Himself. He made the first move, even though we were the ones that had messed things up, and He came down and died for us on the cross because He valued that relationship. He loved us so much, as we know in John 3.16, that He gave His life because He wanted to be with us. So He made the first move. He reconciled us with Him. He reconciled us to himself and then, because of that, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that second pillar, we believe in reconciliation and connection. He says, now that we've been reconciled, I want you to go and here's the rest of the job. Here's the Matthew 28 verse we were talking about. Now you have this ministry of reconciliation. That is, it says in verse 19 that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. What does that mean? Not counting their trespasses or their sins against them. And then entrusting to us the message of of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. In other words, saying we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's that's a that's a big responsibility. He's placed it in our hands. And you and you you wonder, you know, when God looks at the church. When I think about the global church, or He looks at the church in America, there's probably some times where He's like, "What are you doing?" Like me sitting in the car, my. Dennis is getting away, he's about to cross the white line, and he hits those those things in the sides, you know. We're like, dude, you you should know, get back over. But God's given us that responsibility. He's given us that mission. I want to look at another passage. Turn to, to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going the wrong direction. Oh, my goodness. There we go. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at verse uh, 24 through 25. Thinking of this mission, thinking of these pillars that, that the Lord has given us, I think this is a good passage, and it says this, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another. How to stir up one another to love and good works. To love is an inter- interesting aspect because we're going we're to end talking about some of that today and how that fits into the gifts and the calling that God has given us. But to stir up one another to love and to good works. There are times we need to be stirred up. There are times we need to have the passion kind of reignited. where We have to kind of get back on track Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. And it says this, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. There are times when we're fired up, where the mission is red hot. There are other times where you're like, man, I don't know. You know, there are times of discouragement. There are tough and difficult days, and then there are good days. But there are times we need to be stirred up, there are times we need to be encouraged, and this is something that we do together, and that's the next aspect of the church that I want to talk about this morning, is that we have our mission, but we can only accomplish this mission together. We can only do it together. We need the unity that is supposed to be there, as always, in the church, through the gospel We need to work together. Let's take a look at, uh, I'm going to do a couple little flip-flops here. Romans chapter 12. Let's see what Romans 12, 4 and 5 says. And then we're going to land in one other book and stay there for a while, so make it easy on you. Romans 12, 4 through 5 It says this, it says, for as in, in one body, the, the church is described as a body. As you, as you well know, your body has several parts, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But in, but in verse 5, again, it says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members, I like that, members of one another. That's key. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. It talks about if it's prophecy, then use it in proportion to our faith. If it's service, then in our serving. For the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages, if you will, in his exhortation, the one who contributes to do so in generosity, the one who leads to lead with zeal, the one who, who does acts of mercy to do it with cheerfulness. We're going to talk about some gifts here in a moment, but let's let's continue to focus on unity by turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's turn there. And we will camp out there for the rest of the sermon. 1 Corinthians 12. Let's uh, just begin at verse 1. I'll give you a moment to flip there, to turn there, to punch buttons. So in in, in 1 Corinthians 12, this is what we read. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. It says, now there are, Varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a lot of different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's given all of us some kind of gift, a manifestation of the Spirit, how God shows up in our life for the common good. I think that's amazing. It says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empower, empowered by one and the same Spirit. You see the unity that's there. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then it says this. So we have these gifts. We have the power of the Spirit. But he says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is in with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less Many parts, yet one body. I want you to consider something today just as a matter of perspective. Typically, when I've read this passage, and maybe you've read it differently or thought differently, we all see different things in our mind as we read things, I believe, at times. But as I've read this, I've always thought about a local church, you know, that, so and so's the foot so and so's the you know the eyes and the hands and together this local church kind of comes together but i've never really considered this in the sense of the church worldwide wondering that one church over here could be a part of the feet of the whole church what's real life maybe we're maybe we're just a a little toe i don't know but all together there's this unity it's not just speaking of unity within the local church is talking about unity within the church at large. But unity is key for us even on this level is that we have got to come together as a, a unified church to be able to accomplish these three pillars, if you will, to, to, to truly reach people as God's called us to. There has to be that unity. It has to it has to work together. I, one of the, the illustrations you'll hear today is going to be with baseball. I love baseball. And one of the things that I was watching just the other day, and you've probably seen some of this, on um, maybe some replays or YouTube or what have you. But if there is no unity, there's some serious issues when it comes to baseball. Things don't work. One of the simplest of plays, you know, these guys are professionals. They're getting paid millions of dollars, crazy money. That You've seen some deals probably or heard about this past year. And so there's some outfielders out there. If a ball is hit into the outfield, you expect these guys that are paid millions of bucks to just catch the ball you're moving on? There's an out. You know, if it's the third out, it's over. Let's go, and now it's our turn to bat. But there are moments where somebody hits a ball into the outfield and you've got people running like crazy towards the ball, three people at once, as I was witnessing the other, the other night, and there have been, what, collisions, the people have like smacked into the other person and literally have hurt themselves and been out for a number of games because they have not been working together in unity. They're not listening to the other. They're not giving way for the other to come and to catch the ball if they have a better sight or you know, this this unity is key for things to happen. And just as it is simply that in baseball, as it comes to the church, this unity allows us to come together and to move forward with accomplishing the mission that God's given us. And He's given us all gifts that we saw in this passage as well. We all have different aspects of different, I love how it says manifestations of the Spirit. We all have a little portion that's kind of been dumped out here and it's been dumped out there that that all needs to come together to make this amazing stew, if you will. We need a piece of this, and we need a piece of that. God's given us what we need. We have to really trust Him in that, by the way. But we have to use those gifts. If we're not using those gifts, it doesn't work. You can't just use one gift and not use the others. One of the things you hear in sports all the time, too, is that you know, there, there, are, there are two sides of things. There's offense, and there's defense. And typically, when they talk about a matchup in baseball, it's, it's the matchup of the pitchers. How well the pitcher does usually sets the tone for where the game goes. But if the the pitcher for the Cubs, which is my team, is just an astounding pitcher, that's great until it comes for time for people to bat. What good is it? to get the other team out, but you can never get any points on the board. If everything's all about the pitching and nothing's about the batting, there's going to be some real issues, isn't there? Everyone's gifts have to come together. So-and-so is a home run hitter. This one's a pitcher. This one is is great in, in, in defense and shortstop and stopping balls from getting by. Everyone has their part to play. Everyone has their gift that God has given them. One of the things that, that maybe you need to consider, that we all need to consider, is are we using our gifts? Are we using what God has called us to do? Maybe we're not sure what that is. and That, that needs to be found out. What's my part? What's my, what's my role to play? And, and truly, and you, you've heard this before, and it can be a tired analogy, but, but there shouldn't necessarily be anybody on the bench. especially with a church our size, right? We're all in the game. And that, that looks, that takes shape in a lot of different ways. It's not all about Sunday mornings, obviously. It's about what we're doing prior to Sunday morning as well. What happens throughout the week? What kind of, how are we using the gifts that God has given us? So in 1 Corinthians 12, let's, let's continue. It says the eye in verse 21 The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I like that. They appear like they're weak, but they're indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Everyone has something different, right? But He says, but earnestly desire the, the higher gifts. And I will show you, he says, still a more excellent way. It's where we see all, all these gifts, all the, the mission, all these things still gets wrapped up and covered in what we see next. Let me show you the most excellent way. We always come back to this. And he says, This, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, we could think that we're just being all hippie and cool when we say, you know, number one, love and grace. You know, yeah, that's the kind of church we are. We're just, you know, yeah, man. But it doesn't work, nothing works. Without love. I can do all kinds of great things, right? But it says, without love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just noise. It's irritating. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We always, you know, that's that's so. we always come back to this balance of of truth and grace. Without love, it's meaningless. And it goes on to say what we've heard and we've discussed a lot here is that love is patient, that it's kind does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. See, that love, that's interesting, love rejoices with the truth. We've always, you know, there's that concern that we mentioned last week, you know, how do you tell someone the illustration that, you know, You stink. But yet love rejoices with the truth. The truth is shared and love is truly known. It rejoices with it. It makes sense. It goes together. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Or in some versions it says, love never fails. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And he says this, this is key. So, now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three things are left. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know, as we move forward as a church, as we take on the calling that God has given us as we encourage one another, stir one another up, we use our gifts and we we accomplish what God has given us. There, there are times we run into things where we don't know what to do or what do we do with this person, what do we do with this situation. One of the things you can always rest on no matter what is if you don't know what to do, and it's going to sound really hippie, but it's in Scripture, is love. When it all fails and you can't figure it out and you're not really sure what to do, you can't go wrong by loving, by expressing love, by loving each other. Because in the midst of that, I think you know, there's this faith that's offered to God that says he's going to figure this out. Because without that, that's the foundation, nothing else is going to work anyway. It boils down to, to loving one another. It boils down to loving our community. It boils down to, to having that spirit about us. The thing that i love about this passage too we've mentioned this is that we have this understanding that god's in control he's the one that's arranged the parts he's the one that's arranged the gifts he's the one that's that's given you know the responsibility if you look at it globally for this church to be the the bicep this one to be this this one to be the foot this one to be this and 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 the big toe can't get irritated with God that God made them the big toe. I'm not saying that's what we are. It's an illustration. But God's in control, isn't he? He knows what he's doing. And knowing that he knows what he's doing is gives me great peace. It gives me great rest when when we encounter the mission he's given us. Because we wonder how in the world do we help this person. How in the world do we move forward and help this part of our community? We we have to continue to place our faith in the Lord that he knows what he's doing. Amen. To, yeah. I agree. God's good. Hey, there you go. And all the time. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you know what you're doing. We trust you know what you're doing. And we're so thankful for the love that you continually show us. And Lord, I pray that we would express that love. Love being the the greatest visual picture of of, of who you are. The greatest aspect, kind of the crown jewel, if you will, of all those things. And Lord, if we are... The body of Christ. If we are the church, Lord, then the one thing people should see when they look at us is that love. Lord, help us to understand what our gifts are. Help us to move forward with those gifts to be to be ready to be used by you, Lord. As we go out to to our community this week, Lord, we pray that that your love would just truly shine brightly from us, Lord. That we would share. Uh, love and grace with those that we meet, Lord that they would know the uh, the truth about you, but Lord Lord, help us to to fulfill the mission you 've given us of being reconcilers, that they realize Lord that that you are the one that holds the key to life, Lord, that they would be reconnected with you, they understand that you gave your life for them that they would have a relationship with you. Lord, help us to be stirred up. Help us to be passionate about that calling and, that, and the gifts you've given us for your sake. We love you and we thank you for this day and this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.